0: It's time to think about us this week in the podcast. We sit down with Dr. Daniels, a psychology professor at Curry College. Take a breath and pause for a moment. Dr. Daniels is going to guide us through a meditation and discuss mindfulness. We all need to take time to breathe and enjoy happiness in our lives. So I'm here with Dr. Daniels, and today we're going to talk a little bit about meditation, And we're also going to do a five-minute guided meditation as well. So first off, I think that everyone should get comfortable.
1: That's a great place to start. And I think the the rule that we'll keep coming back to is keep it simple. Uh, The more stuff we add to it, the less likely we are to do it. And so one of the keys here is a chair, a straight back chair someplace where your feet can touch the ground. If not, put something under your feet, because when our feet don't touch the ground, it kind of pulls on us a little bit. And we want our spine nice and straight so that we're not straining to keep it straight. There's all kinds of fancy stuff uh, we do with meditation, sitting on cushions, etc. and part of that's to keep track of our body. But to keep it simple, we just want a straight back chair, feet flat on the floor with our Toes facing roughly forward. You probably want to roll those shoulders just a little bit, put them up to your ears and then push them down, roll them just a little bit to loosen that up. It turns out that we breathe with much more of our body. Well, we can breathe with much more of our body, but a lot of the time we don't. This is going to be a meditation that is meant to encourage over time, a sense of mindfulness and presence. And so it's really going to center on the breathing. And so you can have your eyes partly closed, fully closed, maybe open. But what we're doing is limiting the number of distractions here. And so you set your hands down loose in your lap. You don't have to do anything fancy with your fingers. Folks who meditate for long term do all kinds of stuff there. But you don't need to worry about that. Just so they're sitting loose and not pulling on us. We're going to try to breathe through our nose, and if you've got allergies or some kind of thing like that, that might not be the easiest. So if you do breathe through your mouth, you're going to want to make it a small kind of pursed little thing. We're just trying to slow the breathing down. And the type of breathing that goes best with this is the breathing that we let happen in our belly you wanna think that you're almost like filling up your um, lower abdominals with the air. You're not, of course, but what you're doing there is allowing your belly to help push out your rib cage. And when we're doing that kind of breathing where we let the air fill up as much of our lungs as possible, and then we let the air back out and we cave in our abdominals, so when we exhale we cave in the belly. When we inhale, we let the belly expand. And as we're doing that, we want the upper chest and our shoulders to stay as loose and sort of still as possible. We don't want to breathe shallow, which is that upper breathing. We want to breathe deep. For the meditation part then, We just let the breathing happen and we notice it. So as I inhale, I can feel the coolness in my nose. I can feel that air in my throat. I can feel it start to get into my upper chest. And then I can feel my belly stretching out as I'm letting it guide my rib cage. And when I get a full lung of air, and it feels like, ah, oh, yeah, that's there, we push just a little bit more and then we let it go. <sighs> let that air go out and the belly caves back in again. And again, we notice the feel of the air in our nose, in our throat, in our chest. We feel the muscles stretching out and stretching in as we breathe. You're keeping that throat open the whole time. You just let the air flow through. Let the muscles in your belly guide the breathing. And in doing that, we let go of a lot of the tension we hold in our necks and in our throats. We even feel our voices deepen a little bit as we do that. So let's go back. We breathe in again. We feel the belly stretch out a little bit. And then hmm, we breathe out and we let the air flow through and again feel the coolness of the air. Now, with me talking, you probably notice what I'm saying. You're noticing your sensations. At the same time, you may notice what it feels like to be sitting in the chair that you're sitting in. Feel what your shoulders are feeling like. You might notice that there's been some tension in your body that you didn't notice that you were holding. All of that is for the good. That's all pulling us back into this moment. And as I continue to breathe, I inhale. Stretch out that belly and then exhale and let it go. And with each breath, I let there be a little pause. I inhale, and I pause. And then I exhale, and I pause. With each breath, we can feel the relaxation deepening a little bit more. We can feel ourselves letting go of some tension. Now, if you're doing this without somebody talking in your ears, the mind is going to drift. That's what our minds do. Our minds get distracted by this or that. That is inevitable. I do not know of anyone who has ever really cleared their mind. What we do have the capacity to do is gradually notice more and more that our mind has drifted. So as you're inhaling and exhaling, because you're going to keep doing that until you don't. So as we keep breathing, and we notice our mind has drifted, like, oh, I'm thinking about that assignment. Oh, I'm thinking about class this afternoon. Oh, I think I just got an email. There they are. There are those thoughts, and come back to the breath. Huh, I just noted that my mind drifted. And I came back to the breathing. The habit of returning to the breath is the habit of returning to the here and now. And as I become better and better at noticing the habits of my mind, the habits of my thoughts, I gain the ability over months and years to become more mindful. So let's inhale again. Pause, and we exhale. Mm-hmm. And we're cultivating that returning to the breath, returning to the breath again and again helps us have that clear-eyed presence to actually address what's right in front of us. So how about one more nice deep breath, pause. And now a nice, deep exhale. And we can say for now, our guided meditation is done. How was was that, Jack?
0: That was great. I think that's a great way to always start a day. It's good to meditate before doing something. I do like a lot, actually, the pause. When I do it, most of the time, you're pushing that air out. You're not allowing that tension to build pause for a minute and then blow it out i i never really thought about that pause how important that is
1: that's a really good observation i like that the pause gets super mystical too if you analyze it there's a little moment in between breaths and i think there's actually a buddhist meditation in which you're linking it to a little bit of of the nothingness of death and it gets all kinds of wild there but the pause gives us that in-between moment, an in-between moment of the tension of the inhale and an in-between moment of the relaxation of the exhale.
0: It's just so, so nice to kind of take a minute to pause and relax and think about your breathing because I don't really think we do.
1: I would agree with you. The, um, I hinted at as we were talking there, the shallow breathing that most of us do most of the time. You'll hear this repeatedly discussed that um, babies and early toddlers know how to breathe. They breathe with their belly. But sometime during toddlerhood towards early grade school, we learn to suck in our gut all the time. Mm. And we start breathing shallow. There's all kinds of health issues around that because what's happening is we build up stale air much more when we breathe shallow. And that stale air can, for no good reason, put us into panic. Our body says, oh, I'm not getting enough oxygen. And it puts us into a state of, of anxiety, of fight, flight, or freeze. And so the, um, the breathing as a practice. Now it's interesting in, um, especially in China, but you'll see this everywhere. And I don't want to ignore um, yoga practice as well around the breath work unto itself is almost its own discipline. Um, for uh, Chinese practice and medicine, it's cultivating qi because qi is flow. Good chi, good flow, bad chi, blocked flow. And so breathing is the core and breathing down into the belly because that's where the energy comes from. And so breath work, just three to five minutes once a day. We know, and in the psychology, we can't leave anything well enough alone. And so we have to call it diaphragmatic breathing. And it is indeed the number one most successful means of anxiety reduction. But it has to be practiced over time. The secret here is that you can't do it once. And pharmaceuticals promise us you take one pharmaceutical and you're all better. Diaphragmatic breathing when practiced over time beats all the pharmaceuticals. Legal or illegal, let's be clear there. And so um, it is indeed, like you just said, the, that morning practice, can you find just three to five minutes? Now, the extra stuff I added with um, tracking the thoughts, that mindfulness meditation element, that is then moving, um, building on the breath work into a more explicitly meditative practice. But if you watch uh, people practicing Tai Chi or people doing yoga, the secret is the breath right if you do it with stiff muscles and a stiff gut you can't hold the balance you can't do the exercise with flow it's giving into that breath and letting the breath guide it
0: and i know that you talked about sitting in a chair because i'm sitting in a chair is it better to kind of lay down and do a meditation
1: that's an interesting point. Um, I, When I teach breath work, I teach three versions of it. Um, one is sitting in a chair, and that's going to be one that um, will help us kind of, if we were to imagine a morning practice, to keep it simple, sit in a chair, do this, and you get ready for the day. What we're doing is we're, fancy, we're depotentiating, lowering the possibility of anxiety by doing it, lowering our bodies, fight, flight, or freeze. So the chair practice is a neutral anchoring practice that gets us going in the right direction. There's a standing version where you um, put your legs about shoulder width apart, have your feet face straight forward, make your knees bouncy, and then tuck in your butt. And in doing that, we get our spine nice and straight. In um, martial arts, it's called the horse stance. And in doing that, in breathing, that can be a nice way to feel the breath all the way down into the legs. And you're supposed to actually feel it down into the soles of your feet. We feel our whole body breathing in that standing version. And that's a great thing to do in the middle of a shift, uh, to do um, during a break during the day. And that gets me to the laying down version. The laying down version is deeply relaxing. And so uh, laying on our back, With our knees bolstered the knees make a triangle and you put something under them so you don't need to hold them that way you bolster the knees and then you do this funny thing where you roll your shoulders back and arch your back and then slowly relax your belly into the bed or whatever you're laying on and in doing that you're letting go of a bit of attention the version that i've been taught is a relatively sharp inhale so a quick But then laying down, we focus in on making the exhale as long as we can. We stretch it out, and then we do it again with another sharp inhale, and then we try to make the exhale even longer. And each time, it's a quick inhale and a longer and longer exhale. And in doing that, it's really deeply relaxing. (laughs) And it's a great thing to do right before bed. It can reduce leg twitch a little bit. People who wake up from their leg twitching, and it mild forms of insomnia. It's a pretty effective form uh, for that. If you practice all three during the day, that's amazing. And it's only three to five minutes each time, so that's nine to 15 minutes per day. Um, And the key here is reduce the extraneous stuff. Stick with the practice, stick with the body, let the body guide it. Guided meditations are super useful. And it's how I learned. What we want is to internalize that so that when we don't have headsets, when we don't have something around us to help us, we can still do it. That anchoring practice of once a day in a straight back chair is awesome. If we are doing longer meditations, where it stretches out for what is considered fairly typical 20 minutes, And again, start with five, then 10, then 15, and work your way up to 20. But if you're doing a 20 minute meditation, then we start to think about those cushions. They're called Zafu. And they're just, why do we do that? Well, if I sit on my butt on the ground with my legs crossed, my legs are gonna go numb. I'm built that way. There are people who can do that and don't. But when we stick a cushion up under our butts, It lifts us up, tends to straighten the spine, reduces the legs falling asleep. But we also notice if we drift. Because one of the funniest things is that when our mind drifts, our body drifts. And so sitting on the cushions, as I start to almost fall over, I can't fall asleep while I'm sitting on a Zafu. I know I can fall asleep in a chair. But in a Zafu, um, I'm going to, if I start to nod off, jerk myself awake. But more importantly, I'm sitting up straight and I can start to track if I'm drifting forward or left or right. And each of those noticing moments becomes a chance to return to the breathing and cultivate that mindfulness.
0: You talked about important it is to, if you don't have headphones, if you don't have anyone to talk to. I think that's very important because I think that people think they need to listen to something to meditate and to give them that idea of the breath and using that breath continuously throughout the day, um, you know, taking five minutes to do or three to do three, three breaths, but for five minutes, um, I think it's very important. And I want to learn about how you learned about that and teaching meditation.
1: I agree with you that guided meditation has become very popular and To be real clear, we have excellent resources available now through various podcasts, through YouTube videos. We will not always have those available to us. Who knows? Maybe in the future we'll have implants in our ears, and we will. But for now, we don't. Uh, As a kid, I was surrounded by people uh, who my dad was hanging out with who were super into spiritualism kind of an old school American spiritualism of spirits of the afterlife and ancient continents and all kinds of stuff that was real wild. And my mom was, and believe it or not, these people stayed married, my mom and dad, uh, my mom was raising me as a German Lutheran. And so I had this tension between super new agey ideas and a relatively traditional Protestant um, upbringing one of the things that bridged the practice was sitting quietly and that that could be of value and whether it's the prayerfulness of say a christian or a jewish or muslim practice uh, the visualizations that you see in some of the the new religions um, the meditative practices that we get from south asia and east asia Um, I really became curious about this stuff and my uh, doctoral program at Pacifica Graduate Institute was very focused in on spirituality as a part of psychology. All right, that's the setup. So I had been gathering pieces and parts and tried out all kinds of things, gone to workshops and retreats and all that good stuff. In my mid-20s, I began practicing counseling and psychotherapy. And there was an Aikido master in um, Seattle named Ellis Amdur, And Ellis would do trainings in de-escalation. So de-escalation is something police officers, first responders, and mental health professionals have to do. That is, there's a person in front of you who's not holding themselves together super well, and I need to figure out how I can remain calm and centered enough to help as best possible to get them calmer. So de-escalation um, is a, there are different workshops for it and anybody who goes into any of those professions should probably go to one or a dozen. Ellis had this idea though that I can't calm another person if I'm not calm. One can make of that what you will given our current struggles around law enforcement and dealing with very tense situations. But I'll leave that to one of my CJ colleagues to, To deal with that. But Ellis, and I got the workshop twice from him, one at one agency and one at another, and he really emphasized the breath work as a grounding practice every day. Now, Aikido is a Japanese um, martial art that's um, very focused in on being centered and grounded. I've never practiced martial arts in my life. I've certainly been to a bunch of workshops, but um, just it's never been a part of what I've done, but the what are called the internal martial arts um, have been a critical part for me. Um, I've been lucky that my, my wife is an acupuncturist and a, a qigong practitioner. And she's taught me a lot of those practices. So rooted back in my mid 20s, I start to see that this is of value. Within a few years, I'm teaching my um, clinical clients, the breathwork, and so, for about 27 years, I've been teaching either clients and then eventually in the early 2000s when I started teaching full time, uh, teaching my students various forms of breath work and starting to hint about meditation. The line between breath work and meditation is fuzzy, which is good, but I think we do need to think about them being somewhat different. Each is a discipline. But breath work is more active, whereas the meditation approach is more passive. I'm letting myself follow the breathing. And um, for especially Zazen practice, which is something that became a part of my life starting in my late 20s into early 30s, Zazen is just that sitting meditation from Zen Buddhism where I just keep coming back to the breath, follow the breath, follow the breath that noticing my thoughts drifting and then coming back to the breath, that is Zazen right there. It became a part of psychology um, starting in Seattle, actually, while I was there. Dialectical Behavior Therapy, um, DBT, is a um, powerful approach that draws on a lot of different parts of psychology. The founder, Marsha Linehan. Uh, who gave up a lot of workshops back in the day when I was in Seattle. Uh, Linehan had herself, as she's revealed within the past five years, pulled herself out of a very difficult mental health struggle by the ongoing practice of zazen meditation. And she then extends that into her research with clients who are having struggles teaching them mindfulness and mindfulness-based meditation. And mindfulness then is kind of this third category. We've got breathwork, we've got meditation, and we've got then mindfulness. You can cultivate mindfulness without breathwork, I guess. You can cultivate mindfulness without meditation, but breathwork and meditation can certainly enhance mindfulness, that sense of what am I doing right now? So for me, it's been professional and personal, this journey over the past 27 or so years of of getting deeper and deeper into um, these various practices.
0: I really like how you talked about inner martial arts. I really do because I haven't heard that before. I, I think that we never really think about how we feel inside until it happens right? with the emotion and everything. And I think it's very important to talk about how that inner martial arts is very important cuz we're so much about you know our body working on our body but inside we we don't think about ourselves as much i would say
1: i would agree with you what happens so typically in most uh, martial arts training is that they do start with the the physical the the katas etc um because they especially find that kids and new practitioners don't have the patience for the internal work And so often it's not until uh, somebody's reached the level of black belt that they're suddenly taught, oh, yeah, and there's this other stuff. Um, That is not how it used to be taught. Um, The martial arts that we know today, many of them are really only about 140 years old. Um, They come from ancient traditions, but it was in the late 1800s that a lot of the, the forms that we know today Tai Chi um, and uh, Kung Fu and uh, a lot of the Japanese approaches are just within the last 140 years have been uh, solidified. But back in the day, 100 years ago, even 60 years ago, the internal focus was the core. You start there and you build out from there. The idea that the martial arts even could be a thing under themselves is a very new idea because martial arts were supposed to be taught along with cooking, along with medicine, along with meditation, because um, and herbology. I left that out. So all of those are part of these branches of what's considered a life practice. We love in the West breaking things into pieces and parts. Oh, that's dietary. Oh, that's spiritual. Oh, that's military and uh those we live and die by those separations as opposed to seeing them as integrated
0: it's awesome to hear how much background you know and how much knowledge i did want to take one of your classes but i never got around to it i failed on that part but (laughs) i'm so happy that i had this conversation with you i do want to ask you one more question what can we achieve with meditating and allowing ourselves to take time for ourselves and meditate during the day
1: yeah Oh, boy, that's the biggie. And if I can now start to sound a little more um, Shifu or Sensei-like here, um, the point of meditation is that there is no point. We have to be super careful not to bribe ourselves into meditation. Oh, I'm doing this for weight loss, or I'm doing this to lower my anxiety, or I'm doing this to improve my sleep. or All of those may well happen. Um, but when we become obsessed with what I'm going to get out of it, it kind of gets in the way of what it can do. Um, so the the benefits that happen if we stop thinking about the benefits, um, indeed, a deeper sense of calm and centeredness, clearer memory, better digestion, which is one of the more interesting ones, because when we're um, when we're freaking out, blood does not flow to our gut. It's why we get dry mouth. The mouth is the opening to the digestive tract and um, if our digestive tract is offline because we're ready to you know fight a saber-toothed tiger then we're not going to um, digest our food well Um, it shifts how the liver releases sugar into our bodies as we focus more on this calming practice it uh, improves our relationships because we're not busy having arguments we're busy having conversations combined with, of course, exercise, to be clear. Um, it improves our capacity to heal ourselves, um, just to be more fully who we are. My ongoing realization is that so much of the world around us, so much of what we expose ourselves to, doesn't make money off of us being calm. We've never heard a commercial that say, says to us, you're a really good person. Everything is okay, have a nice day. The commercials tell us we suck (laughs) and we'll suck a little bit less if we have their product. Being bombarded with messages that I'm not okay sits in our body. It becomes parts of our thoughts, parts of our embodiment, parts of our relationships. I'm not enough, this isn't enough, I'm not okay. And meditation at its best, when you cultivate it over weeks and months and years. Meditation pulls us back into the moment. And in that moment, we have everything we
0: need. Definitely wanted to take a psychology class because I'm, I'm very interested in this stuff. And I'm hoping to, um, because of Headspace, I, I like Andy a lot. Um, I do want to watch one of his TED Talks. I think he's just great. I remember him on um, Jimmy Fallon. I like his videos. His animations are very entertaining about um, kind of mindfulness and allowing yourself to watch your thoughts instead of run out into traffic. <laughs> and I like to, yeah, and try to stop them. So I've always kind of used that metaphor lately. And um, I, I think it's really important to keep bringing that metaphor up because we run out into traffic to stop our thoughts, but we really wouldn't run into traffic.
1: Agreed. Agreed. You know, you're reminding me, I'm of an age where podcasts aren't quite an ongoing thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an NPR geek though. And yeah. I end up listening to what are actually podcasts via NPR quite a bit. Right. Um, and I, I can't recommend it enough because there's just such interesting, bright people. And they're interviewing a lot of the um, the better thinkers today around this but one in particular is called on being it's, uh, I think it plays at six in the morning on Sundays on WBUR, but they, you can listen to it, um, online, but on being with Krista Tippett, uh, used to be called the, the previous program was called speaking of faith. Um, but she has expanded it to work with a broader range of people. And the people she interviews on it are just amazing. You've got poets and singers and dancers and writers and religious figures and atheists and just a really broad range of really impressive thinkers. Um, And it's long enough, um, she gets a whole hour with them um, where you really get to dig into some of the nuances. The journey of inquiry the journey of curiosity, what you are, what I hear just shining through and what you're saying, Jack, is that your passion to learn more about this and dig deeper has been this process for you. Your interest has guided your practice, which has deepened your interest. And when those two are going together, I mean, that's, that's the magic that I'm trying to do in the classroom trying to get students to be curious and investigate something and investigating it, they realize how it ties into their life and then that keeps going. You know, we talk about lifelong learning. Um, You can't force that. I would explore um, NPR and just put in things like meditation, like mindfulness, um, and you'll get some just incredible pieces because people like NPR and BBC um, have more time right and so most of the news media is not doing that kind of work but um i i just going to npr.org and doing searches on mindfulness and meditation will get you some great stuff all
0: right well i want to thank you again dr daniels for taking your time to do a guided meditation and allow us to learn a lot about meditation and mindfulness that was awesome that was great
1: it is my pleasure this was this was great
0: continue to think about your breathing and yourself We'll see you next time for another podcast right here on Spotify.